What's up, everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thank you all for being with me here today. My name is Matt, and if you like the show, you can help it out by leaving me a comment or a like or a subscribe. And yeah, with that, I'm glad to be back. Excited to talk about a few biotech-related things. Been a little bit busy with work, traveling as per usual, but I did get a chance to look at some updates on some cool companies, so we're going to talk about that. Going to be a relatively low-key episode, though. Uh, going to touch a little bit on a few different areas, and the companies we're going to talk about today is Trevina, Marker, and Biogen. We're also going to touch on some other little fun things that came out in the last little while, but yeah, with that, let's just jump right into it. And the four pieces of news I want to focus on today are the resubmission of the NDA by Trevina. We're going to talk about the clinical hold in Marker. We're also going to talk about the Tecfidera case that Biogen recently got a victory in. And then we're also going to talk about the Alzheimer's trial failures from Lilly and Roche. So to start off, we're going to touch on Trevina. And for those who don't know, Trevina has a lead candidate for painkilling, and that compound is called olaceridine. It's a related compound to another to other opiates, but it acts on a slightly different subunit, so it has some properties that make it beneficial compared to traditional opiates like morphine. So they did a lot of work in phase three trials to show that it's you know comparable in efficacy to other opiates, but it does have a slight reduction in side effects compared to traditional opiates. So the benefit here is that there are less GI problems associated with this compound. So they went ahead and submitted an NDA and they received a complete response letter that didn't have too many difficult things that the company could overcome. So I really thought that they had an opportunity here to resubmit the NDA after they were able to satisfy the FDA's concerns. So the news that we got today is that the NDA for olaceridine was resubmitted based on the outcome and final minutes of a type A meeting with the FDA, which was conducted to obtain clarity on their CRL. The resubmission package included data from the multi-dose healthy volunteer QT study, non-clinical data that confirmed levels of inactive metabolite and drug product validation reports. They also specified a maximum daily dose of 27 milligrams as previously acknowledged by the FDA in the type A meeting minutes. No additional efficacy data or additional comparative data versus IV morphine were requested. So a lot of these things are safety related. Uh, this QT study is some heart data they needed as well as some inactive metabolite data. So overall, it seems like they were able to satisfy the things according to this they were able to satisfy the concerns that came out of this type A meeting. So I really don't think it's going to be a big hurdle for them to get approval, assuming this is all true. They're assuming it's going to take around six months for that final PDUFA date decision to come out. So we should hear within the next 30 or 60 days, I believe, what that PDUFA date is. And I do see a lot of upside to the stock if they do get approval. Their current market cap is $72 million, and they have a cash position of $44.7 million as of the third quarter of 2019. And if this is all true, you know, based on their burn rate, it gives them about a runway of Q2 2021. So I think that as we get kind of closer to this PDUFA date that we don't actually know yet, it'll be worth it to take a little bit of a position here. And I write down that some of the milestones, they're going to get 3 million bucks as soon as they get U.S. regulatory approval. And then with their partners in China or South Korea, they're going to start to see a royalty once these companies can start selling it. And that'll happen, of course, after they get approval in the U.S. And then they can go through the regulatory 
um, hurdles in these other countries. So I think that the approval will be bullish for the stock. And given its market cap right now, I do see some upside. So I'm probably going to double down on my 100 shares. So I really don't have a big position here, but I'm probably going to double down on that as we get kind of closer to this PDUFA date, maybe when we hear what's going to happen in terms of when the when the actual date's going to be. So that's Trevina. Let's move on to Marker Therapeutics. And for those who don't know much about this company, they have a lead product called their Multi-TAA. And this is an immune cell product that they basically take from a patient and they stimulate with their proprietary blend of antigens. And this expands the T cells and also gets them primed for activity in different types of blood cancers. They also have a program in pancreatic cancer, but the thought is you can expose these T cells or these immune cells to antigens that are going to make them much more reactive when they're placed back into the patient so they can defeat cancer. So their main product trials are in AML, and they were given a clinical hold by the FDA recently based off of some third-party reagents. Now, the FDA just lifted a clinical hold on this Phase two AML trial, but then they placed a partial hold because one of the reagents, they were not able to find a certificate of analysis, and they're still waiting on some data from the supplier. So they the two reagents that were problematic they did not have a certificate of analysis and the fda wanted some data about them but marker had to go ahead and find an alternate supplier because that supplier didn't have those analyses done for them so they're waiting on some of this for one reagent and they expect that this is going to come before the end of q2 in 2020 so Basically, it's kind of a waiting game, and unfortunately, Marker can't really do too much until they can get this information from the third-party supplier. So what the company's planning on doing is a safety lead-in portion to this Phase two AML trial. So they're going to compare the old reagent to the new reagents and make sure there's no substantial difference there. Three patients in one, three patients with the new supplied reagent, and this date is expected to come in H2 of 2020. And this is unfortunate. The company doesn't have a ton of cash right now, but their market cap is at $124 million. So we need them to get through this comparative study, and hopefully there's no significant difference between those two. And then they can move on with their follow-up trial, which is a 160-patient, two-group trial that we're actually going to get to see if the multi-TAA product is effective in AML here. And I think that it will be, but it's really this waiting game, right? And as I've touched on in other episodes, the cash burn is very important here. Their net cash is about $45 million as of Q3 of last year. So we'll find out as they release their year, their 2019 earnings report. But the company said in that report that it's enough for at least Q4 of 2020. But, you know, if you do the math on how much they've been spending, it's probably going to be closer to mid-2021. But I expect them to do a raise before they come to that real deadline of mid 2021 to run out of cash so i'm going to wait carefully before adding to my position which i intend on doing because i don't see them having really positive data um, for either their aml or any of their pancreatic cancer trials until after they're going to have to raise money so that's kind of where i'm at i still see a lot of potential in the product if they can you know get it together and pull pull out some data but um, it is definitely a timing thing always with these companies so that's going to be my my plan moving forward so that's Marker, and let's move on to Biogen. So for those who don't know, Biogen has a big MS franchise, multiple sclerosis, and Tecfidera overall in the company makes up, I think, around 30% of their total revenue. So 
they were recently challenged by the generic company Mylan in one of their important patents to maintain exclusivity and prevent generics from coming on the market. So Mylan sued Biogen over this specific patent related to a dose of Tecfidera that Biogen argued was non-obvious. Now, I originally talked about how I didn't think Mylan really had a case here, but you never really know when it comes down to this. It comes down to a judge's decision, but it was reaffirmed in a previous case, so I thought Biogen did have a pretty good shot of maintaining the patent for it. If Biogen had have lost, it would have allowed generic competition to come on the market in either 2020 or 2021, but given that the decision was in Biogen's favor, they can keep exclusivity until 2028, and given that Tecfidera is such a major part of Biogen's revenue, this is obviously very beneficial for the company moving forward from a cash flow perspective. I originally said that the contribution of the asset would be $5.6 billion to the market cap or $27 per share. And what we saw after the decision came out was the stock moved up actually $57. So I was definitely on the underside of the estimate there, but it's uh, definitely positive for the company. Other news that came out from their earnings report, and I think I might do a deeper dive on it because they did actually have a pretty um, pretty big year in 2019. So they mentioned that they acquired the commercialization rights to biosimilars of Lucentis and Ilea. I've touched on Lucentis and Ilea before in, in previous videos with diseases related to the eye, but these are very big blockbuster drugs here. And given that Biogen is going to be able to develop them in a biosimilar fashion, it could contribute meaningfully to their revenue. Now, will it be the same as the uh, branded Lucentis and Ilea? Probably not, but it will be a good addition to the revenue. I think a lot of people aren't really convinced that biosimilars are a good way for a company to move in terms of generating revenue, but given that Biogen is pretty diversified between you know new novel assets and these biosimilars, I think all of it kind of is a net benefit to the company. And then the last piece of news is that they are still planning to file the aducanumab NDA. And I'm going to touch a little bit on this because speaking of the aducanumab drug, we heard that Lilly and Roche had an Alzheimer's failure with two of their antibodies that were related to um, amyloid beta. Just a quick recap, and I've beaten this to death, but uh, the amyloid hypothesis basically says that the reason for the cognition problems in Alzheimer's disease is due to these amyloid beta plaques and tangles that happen in the brain. We don't necessarily know why it happens, but if you can reduce the amyloid beta plaques, tangles, this should have an improving effect on memory and cognition. We've already seen multiple different assets fail in this case, and they fail because they don't actually have an effect on memory and cognition, but they do have an effect on lowering amyloid beta in the brain. So it seems like amyloid might be a an incidental thing that happens and it's not actually the cause of these effects that happen in the brain during Alzheimer's disease progression. So anyway, Lilly and Roche announced together that, so Lilly's drug was solanuzumab and Roche's drug was gantinurumab. And both of them did not meet their primary endpoint, which was improvements in cognition and memory in a specific dominantly inherited Alzheimer's disease. So this is a very small proportion of all Alzheimer's disease patients, but basically mutations in this PSCN1, PSCN2, or APP. So they were looking specifically at this group, and they postulated that treating these patients with either one of these antibodies, which bind to amyloid beta and 
you know, remove it from the brain in different ways would have an effect if amyloid beta was the actual problem. So they did not reach the primary endpoint, and both of these drugs worked in, in a different way. So silanazumab um, binds to monomeric A-beta, which prevents its oligomerization. And then gantinarumab works by degrading amyloid plaques, basically by eliciting this phagocytotic effect of immune cells in the brain to degrade amyloid plaques. But they both failed. So basically what this says to me, just like the previous trials, is that the amyloid beta hypothesis is not really useful, at least in this stage of the game, for treating Alzheimer's disease. And I think the FDA is going to be hard-pressed to approve aducanumab when it comes to Biogen's drug, which they're submitting for an NDA. I don't think they're going to be convinced that it works. I think that the sloppiness of Biogen in these trials that they did, the Emerge and Engage trial that I talked about in, in a couple of previous videos, but there's some sloppiness around that, and I don't think the FDA is going to be impressed with it. So I know it's not a very, you know, earth-shattering take, but I think this aducanumab submission is going to be another headwind for um, Biogen. And whether or not the stock is pricing that in just yet, I'm not too sure, but that's where we're at. The last thing I want to talk about is these insider buys and sells. So we saw the 13G forms were released, and these are forms that investment banks or hedge funds have to release disclosing their positions in companies. Now, I want to credit uh, at PAWCIO2009 for this nice kind of summary on the bigger names and whether or not they bought and sold and their holdings as well. So definitely, he's worth a good follow. Another follow on Twitter is M. Solender, and this person put out a lot of the summaries of the 13Gs from all these different investment funds, so I thought that was pretty useful as well. And basically, you know, when I look across this, I'm not holding like any of these things. So it's a probably a good opportunity for me to look into some interesting companies. But we do see here that KOD is a is a big buy from Perceptive and Baker Bros. We knew that Baker Bros had a big position in KOD, but you know, seeing validation with Perceptive holding as well. Um, I did notice that Baker Bros had a big position in DBVT, and I think the reason for this is that after the Amune approval there's way less risk for DBVT to fail. So I think they're making a bet on that. Um, another thing I noticed is that Baker Bros and a lot of other companies actually sold quite a bit of Amarin. And I'm not super worried about this, given that if you think about Q4, it's when we got all those big decisions out in the positive direction for Amarin. So it was a good spot to take profits. Um, I don't necessarily see it as a reason to sell because they are still, a lot of these companies are still holding Amarin. That, along with my other theses about Amarin, I think are worth holding. And really right now, I think it's just the patent issue that we have. And then uh, the stock will go back to all-time highs again. But that's that. Definitely take a look at this uh, summary and, and see if there's anything interesting here. I might take a look into a few of these companies and do some kind of analysis on that. But I thought I would bring it up. And that's all I got for you. So I think this week, the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be watching for updates in the coronavirus news. Definitely some suspicious stuff going here, and I don't fully know what to make of it. Um, you get the full gambit of conspiracy theories, and some of it seems reliable and some of it doesn't. So we're going to keep watching for that. The Asperion PDUFA dates are coming up. So February 21st and 26th, and we're going to see what's going on with them. And their drugs still think they're going to get approval, but you never know. 
So to do a quick portfolio wrap up, I the moves I made in the last little while, I sold all my Amun. I did buy a little bit more Amarin when it dipped into the 18s and now it's in the 17s, but I still, I still feel okay about that. I did take a position in Axome and they're down a little bit now. I might add a, a few more as we get closer to that uh, treatment resistant depression data readout. Overall, I'm sitting at negative six for the year, and that is trailing all the other indices, but I, you know, still feeling good, still feeling okay about it. Um, volatility did go down quite a bit in the last week or so, and I think these are the fears of the coronavirus destruction is kind of subsiding. I don't know if it's too preliminary for that, but it's uh, something to be mindful of, so I'm going to keep watching that news. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up. So thank you all so much for watching. I do appreciate it. Hit the like and subscribe button, and that would definitely help out the show. And with that, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.